Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome, my friend, to tonight's very special Relax, Let Go, and Be With Charles Show. Tonight, family and friends of a beautiful, loving human who mysteriously disappeared and died are asking for your help. Let's let the music play us in. And welcome, my friends, to tonight's Relax, Let Go, and Be With Charles Show. Tonight, we have a very different show. A very good friend of mine that I've known for years approached me, and we worked together on some things together, and she shared with me about this very beautiful human named Ian Powers, who she had known because he was a part of her life, he had been a best friend to her son, a best friend to her daughter, eventually a fiance to her daughter, and very much like a father uh, to her two children. And she shared a story, and she reached out, and she said, Charles, can you help? We need to get some help about the mysterious disappearance and death of this beautiful human being. And I do want to start off by saying, There are some friends and family who accept that Ian may have passed away 
through an accident. When you listen to our show tonight, and not just what we're going to be sharing a lot on the show tonight, but I encourage everyone in the show's description, there is a link to a very special Facebook page. It's a remembrance page for Ian. But on that page, it includes many different things that have been shared over the past couple of years. It shares the first part of an investigation that was done. It shares TikToks that one of his best friends in school and in life, Ryan Phillips shared, has been sharing a TikTok, sharing pieces of this mystery. And there is a link to that Facebook page. And if you look, there's all these different postings about the TikToks. If you go down a little bit further, you will see 26 pages of the investigation. And this was the, this was the first part of the investigation that went on. And included in that are all the different mysteries, all the different things that just don't make sense about how this beautiful man was with his fiance and, and the, her two sons, and they went to a football game together, and he went to use the restroom, and he disappeared, and five days later, he was found dead. And there's a lot of friends and family that do have questions that are seeking to help of all of you listening live now and all that you will share this show with. We are asking that you share this show with people that live in the Northwest, people that live in the Bay Area in California, people that might be professionals, as you're going to hear today, tonight, that we may need some help from some different types of professionals. This is going to take a community coming together. And I am both humbled and blessed that they came to me and asked and said, hey, Charles, can you bring this together and bring, the, bring us out into the world? And we know that there's listeners all over the world that listen to the show. And they are seeking your help. If you have some sort of professional background that can help, and if you, as you listen to the show, you're going to hear the different people that we might be looking for some help and some guidance from. And we're going to reach those. They are reaching out to the mind, body, spirit community with intention. Because as you're going to hear, this case, my friends, has been guided up to this point. This investigation, these questions have been guided up to this point, no doubt, by a spiritual hand. And we are reaching out to all of you that are mind, body, spirit to hear this and to think of those that you know on the third dimension that may have the talents and the professions that could help answer so many of these questions. And we're also reaching out to those that are mind and body and spirit that might have the spiritual gifts that you may receive some insights. They've reached out in the past to people with spiritual gifts and some of the insights that, that were shared turned out to be important. So they're reaching out tonight to all of you in all of the ways. So as you listen to this show and you hear about this very tragic mystery, I beg you, my friends, to be in a place of allowing yourself to connect to spirit, the spirit that has guided this investigation and guided this beautiful young man's life, to be present and to guide your consciousness, to give you inspirations on who you could share this with and how you might be able to help. And for those in the Inland Northwest and those in the Bay Area, 
or people that you may have friends and family that live in the Washington and, and Idaho, Montana, and the Northwest, or you may have friends and family that live in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area, or that did at this time, there's going to be so many different ways that you may be touched tonight to reach out. And we're going to have a call-in portion later in the show tonight. If you have questions for Tonya or for Michael Johnson, the investigator, they're going to be here to answer your questions. We encourage you all, and even as you're listening to the show, you can really follow along by going to that Facebook, ian.powers.5. And the link is right in the show's description, and you can search. You can, as you scroll down, you'll see many different things that are shared. One of the most important is Michael Johnson's investigation. That includes some very includes all the questions, and it includes some very some people of interest and some ways that you can help. So, don't just listen to tonight's show. Go to that link and check out that investigation. And as we get into tonight's show, you're going to find out more and more about that investigation and about some of the questions that you might be able to answer. And this show is so important, and it's it's about a real, loving, beautiful human being who deserves justice, and it's about friends and family who loved him so much, some who were with him that day, some who went through the five-day search that need closure, that need to know that Ian and Ian's life are respected by knowing exactly what happened to him. And if there are those responsible for what happened, that they're held accountable. So before we start tonight's show, I'm going to start off with a little prayer. And I'd like all of you listening live and all of you listening to the podcast later to join me in this prayer. Dear most awesome and loving source, we come to you tonight and we ask for your guidance and your inspiration. We ask that as we listen to what we see and feel and hear tonight, that we're aware of our intuitions, that we're aware of our connection to the source, that those with the gifts to do so might even feel and connect with the beautiful soul, which is Ian, who has already touched so many lives in his lifetime and so many lives since his passing. And we ask for your wisdom and your grace and your love. And we ask that you reach out with compassion and love to those friends and family members who have been hurting and going through the grieving process. We ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus and the beautiful name of the source. Amen. And we're going to start tonight. If she's with us, I, I, I'm going to check and see if, if Tonya is with us. Uh, she's going to be calling in. We're going to start to hear a little bit about... I'm here, Charles. You are here. Good. <laughs> I, I'd like to also mention that we have the beautiful and wonderful and talented Adam Bodie running the producing the show and running and is an engineer engineer tonight. You may not hear his voice, but he is doing a lot of work behind the scenes. So I uh, want to give thanks to him. Well, thank you, Tonya. And thank you for 
truly caring about Ian and caring about this. And I know it's been a big spiritual and emotional journey for you. And to know that, you know what, we need to reach out to as many people as we can to bring some goodness and some love and some closure to this situation. And let's, let's start with Tonya, how you knew Ian. Uh, well, when my family, uh, when I moved my family up to Spokane in 2003, um, my daughter and my niece were attending me in high school, and they were 16. And my daughter, Chelsea, ended up getting her first job at McDonald's. And Ian was the first true friend that the girls made when we were up here. So my son Ryan was about six, and, and the girls were like 16. And then he just became a part of our family. He, um, he started dating my other niece first. Uh, him and Chelsea were always like best friends, just got along so well, just really liked each other. Um, so, and then um, he was like a big brother to Ryan and, you know, always gave him good advice. And uh, so Ian was 17 when we first met him in 2003, and um, he had just been a part of our family, you know, going to service, uh, working his jobs, coming home. Um, he would always hang out with Chelsea and then um, Chelsea's ex, the father of her boys, and, and his dad, Tom, and uh, it was just this whole, he was just a part of the whole circle of family and friends, uh, very close-knit um, and so he was just such a, everybody just, nobody ever had a bad word to say about him. If you've ever met somebody like that, that, you know, it's just like, they're just so good through the core of them that nobody would ever say anything negative. I've never heard anybody say a negative word about Ian or thought a negative thought. He was just such an upstanding person. I mean, always did the right thing without him really thinking always calm in any situation, always level-headed, uh, strong mentally um, to go through what he went through when, you know, his childhood and such, and then to, to just be such an independent, hardworking. I mean, he used to walk to his job out in the valley from way up north before he finally got a license and a car. So he would walk and do physical job um, for you know a long shift and then walk back home i mean this guy and he never he never heard a bitch or complain about all the hard work he had to put in you know it was just natural for him he had goals he worked really hard at things like clearing up his credit so he could buy a home and making sure you know he had the best credit and could get the best cars and you know he worked really hard at just because he was on his own pretty much you know he had his family and friends but he always wanted to, he never wanted to ask anybody for anything he always just wanted to be independent and do things on his own and, and make it on his own was really important. So um, he would work two, three jobs, sometimes, do whatever he had to do to, to make it and keep his independent way of living, but also keep his, his really good heart. Um, Ian had the best heart for would never Never would want to be in somebody's face or, I mean, we would go out you know, to a bar or something, and maybe somebody else would be getting in tussle, but Ian was always the calming one. You know, you have those friends that you can put in the middle of any group, and you know they're going to maintain that group no matter what. Yeah. And he was a partier, too, so it wasn't as if, you know, he was just the 
adult in the room all the time. I mean, he liked to party and have fun too, but you always knew you could count on Ian to be the stable, calming voice in the room in any situation. He just knew how to handle it. So for this to have happened to this man um, is the strangest thing in my nearly 60 years on this earth. And I can tell you that it's just, it was so out of the blue. It was so abnormal. It was so strange. Um, And and this Ian could handle anything. You know, he did two tours in Afghanistan for crying out loud. I was going to say he was a Marine or Army? Army. Yeah. Army. I remember when and, he told and, me he joined the army. He, he, um, he, I told him he was working these um, fast food jobs, you know, be manager at McDonald's. And I mean, he was really good. And he was a good manager and, and a hell of a worker. And, you know, he kept getting promoted and stuff. But it's just like, you know, I don't know why I said it. But one time I told him, we were having this conversation. I said, Ian, you just need to make a change. You just need to make a change. I, I didn't suppose, I had no idea what. Um, and then he came to me one time and he said, well, I've made a change. I said, oh, yeah, well, what are you going to do? So I joined the Army. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> Not what I was expecting, but okay. I was totally shocked. <laughs> okay, now, um, but I can see how he, he made a hell of a good soldier. And his Army buddies used to talk about he was always the nicest the kindest, the calming voice in the room, even in Afghanistan when he was serving. It, that trait of his, that characteristic, that stabilizing, responsible voice in the room, that, you know, just loving guy, you know, never wanted anybody fighting around him, never wanted everybody to get along and have good times, make good memories. That guy was even like that over there. So you tell me why the heck whatever happened down yeah. there got to him. Right. So, and I know that you shared, and I think other people shared too, that when he was with his, with his serving and then when he came home from serving and he was with friends and he was with army buddies, he was the type of guy that near the end of the night, now maybe he had a beer or two too, but near the end of the night, he would be the one making sure everybody got home safe or people that needed to crashed or, you know, like, you know, the, I noticed that in, in, for listeners, if you go to that Facebook page, you also see there's a lot of tribute there from family and friends that where Ian took care of him and there Ian touched their lives. And Ian, yeah. Yeah. Ian was, like you said, he was the one that everyone knew he was going to take care of everybody. He was going to near the end yeah. of the night. He might not have been, you know, like the designated driver per se, but he was also the one that but truly he could find the car, made sure At the end everyone of the night, got taken care he was of. The one at the end of the night, he was the one who could find the damn car. That's important to remember as we go further. Yes. <laughs> Michael knows something. Now, so, now, he's, now he served in the Army, and he came home and reconnected with the family. And then yep. then something happened. <laughs> he began, go ahead, and like, he and, he and your daughter started dating and seeing each other, and it became, they had been best friends. Yeah. It became a beautiful relationship. And they were actually friends. staying with you. Yeah, well, Ian always had his own place. Ian never depended on me. For, I mean, oh. I'm also like a caretaker, too, but I never had to take care of Ian. I mean, you know, I would give him advice every now and then, you know, like I, he never asked me for it, but I just give it to him anyway. <laughs> like, Ian, you need to right. make a change. Okay. 
I'm going to go join the Army. Um, but, yeah, so Chelsea and the boys had moved back here um, from Yakima when she graduated college, and Ian had gotten out of the Army. And so, you know, he would come over to the house and spend time with us and all and hang out with Chelsea. And I didn't know what – I mean, I'm oblivious sometimes to things. I don't know. They've just always been best friends. So it's like nothing to me, you know, he would crash out at the house or whatever, you know, on the weekend. Um, and then, and then, um, she told me that they were together and my, my first, my first words were, Ian? I was like, I was so confused. It wasn't that I had anything against him. I mean, I love the guy. Um, but I was, I was a little shocked because I never, I always saw them as just the absolute best friends. Right. But, but like Steve told me, um, after that, he said, well, um, what better choice to make than to, to you spend your life with your best friend <laughs> I'm like, right yeah. yeah yeah that's awesome i get it and i get it so i was happy so they that started was dating they were happy they were super happy yeah and dating turned into really both of them feeling like this is going to be long they went from dating to deciding and i know that there was some times and different things talked about but that they were really looking at being together like Yep. We all know that, that he had plan he had plans to officially ask her to be his wife and that they had begun really living their lives together and being together and then this awesome vacation slash uh football game came up where he's a veteran. They were having a special Veterans Day forty ers game and so Chelsea, your daughter, her two sons, and Ian left from Spokane to go to San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area there. Uh, and, and I know when we bring Michael, he'll know the exact areas because we all think, oh, San Francisco plays in San Francisco. Well, not quite. But, but anyway, <laughs> they go on a vacation together. So they go, what was the plan when they went down? The plan was to be there for a few days and go to the game and what, what were they going for a week, a weekend? What was their plan when they went on this trip together? I'm pretty sure it was a week. Um, they left, I think, the 9th of November. Um, and uh, the plan was to go down there because Ian's from the Bay Area. So his dad and his grandmother lived down there. And he used to, when his mom had moved him back up here, he used to uh, go down and spend time with his dad and grandma down there. Um, and his dad used to take him to Niners games all the time. So Ian's been a 49er fan from as long as he can remember. He's been going to big football games. That's another important thing to remember. This was part of his growing up. He knew how to navigate around an arena. As a matter of fact, when we had gone to a Seahawks game the month before, you know, and he hated the Seahawks, you know, so we used to have our little 49er fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, him and Chelsea bought us all uh, Seahawks tickets for Mother's Day. And so we had planned on the October game, and it was the four of us, Chelsea, me, and me, and Ryan, um, that went over there. And so not too long after that is when they were going to take the boys and go on their family vacation, go to San Francisco, uh, stop and visit with his uncle, um, go check on his uh, – he could show Chelsea where he grew up, where his grandma's house was, all that stuff. Um and then they were going to head down to Hogwarts Castle, uh, Universal Studios after that, after the game. And then 
I'm not sure what else they were going to do on the way back, but that was pretty much the gist of it. So they had a trip, and they were going to do fun things, and part of it was that game. Then after the game, they're heading to uh, go see, like you said, the uh, Hogwarts. And at the moment, I can't think of oh, the name of that. So Harry Potter. Harry Potter things. With Harry the Potter. And all that. Yep. Um, and, and as you said, he's a, you know, and, and like you're a Seahawks fan, I'm a Cowboys fan, nothing to do with that. But that's fun. That's what we do. But this race is way mm-hmm. above that, you know. And one of my best friends that also just passed this year was this past year, 49ers fan. We, my daughter one time made a Dallas Cowboy 49ers birthday cake for both of us. It's like, you know, it's all, that's all in fun. So then he goes that's to funny. the game. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nothing serious. You know, I have friends that, you know, I know, I've, I know some friends that are listening tonight that are 49ers fans that heard about this case, and they also are hoping some good things happen. So he goes to the game, and on the pictures, by the way, if you're, if you're listening to this show live or you go through the blog talk link when you're listening to it, there are four pictures. Two of those pictures are Ian at the game with Chelsea and the boys. One is a close-up of him. There's a, also one of, a couple of his military photos. But if you go to the link that we have to that Facebook page, Ian.powers.5 at Facebook, you will there's a you can see a lot more about what we're about to go into. But before we bring Michael on, let's talk about because you're the mom, you know, of Chelsea, and and you know they went to this game and they're at the game. And at what point during the game was it that Ian got up for a minute to go to the bathroom? Was that third quarter, fourth quarter? That was about midway through the fourth quarter, and um, he so midway through the fourth quarter, he says, "Yeah, I'm going to go to the restroom. I'll be right back." You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and we'll bring Michael on in a moment. But just the rest happened to you, your family, for a few moments, and then he goes to the restroom. Then what happens? Um. It starts to go a little bit longer, and Chelsea starts to text him, asking him, um, what's going on? Where are you? And Ian, now he got to remember Ian, sweet, kind, lovable, responsible, level-headed Ian, um, said, I don't know where the F I am, which he, that's not the way he would talk to Chelsea, wouldn't talk to anybody. Um because he usually wouldn't get mad like that, right? So that was the first sign that something was a little off, but it wasn't too concerning at that point. So they were continuing to text. But then she started to get some weird text messages. Um, They were kind of garbled, you know, like a mixture of, words and numbers and letters and just really strange text and she had no and it was coming from his phone but she really had no idea and so her and the boy sat at the stand and um the game ended and he still hadn't made it back to his seat so they were waiting until security told them you guys have to go because stands were empty and he still hadn't made it back to his seat so she texted him and said we'll meet you outside the stadium so they walked out the stadium, and, you know, it was clearing out pretty well by then. Um, and somehow or another, Ian and Chelsea and the boys never connected in that parking lot. And the parking lot is another strange 
situation, which we'll get into. Right. So she waits. He never comes back. And eventually security is like, hey, you can't, you got to go. So she tries to get a hold of him and says, okay, you know, we'll meet you out here. And again, this is a stadium he had been to multiple times and knew. And like you said, even going to the Seahawks, he knew stadiums. And, and he knew where they parked. He knew where they were. And then there's a, a last contact with him between Chelsea and yeah. Ian where she tries to figure yeah, out where was, he is. And Go ahead. Yeah, so he, the, the Good Morning America video that they showed on national news um, of – the only video they showed of Ian that night was him crossing. There's three foot bridges in front of Levi Stadium. He was crossing one of those bridges, I think Bridge C, um, and they caught that on video where he's looking at his phone and he's walking across the bridge. In other words, he's trying to stay in contact with Chelsea because he's going to meet her outside the arena. So he did find his way out the door. He must have just followed the crowd. I, I don't know why he never found his way back to his seat. Um, because no matter how much drinking Ian would, Ian was the one, like I said, who could find the car and find the, his way home no matter what. He did two tours in Afghanistan. He used to walk uh, 10 miles plus every day back and forth to work. This is not a, a weak-minded man in any way, shape, or form that couldn't have found his way back to his seat uh, in a football stadium. So that's the first weird thing um, right. was the, the point of separation as um, – David Politis calls it missing 411. There's always a point of separation when these weird things, disappearances happen. Um, and that was the point. And they never connected again after that. I and mean, then he goes physically. missing. Right. So he goes missing then for five days. You end up, you end yes. up flying down there. Uh, other family members yes. come down to be with your daughter and you're, and, and you're yes. helping out. Well, there and, and people are searching all over for him, and yes. you're there, and you're there. You're watching, actually, your grandkids while they're out yes. looking and, and doing things, and then, then you get the most horrific news. Yeah, we were actually um, had lunch and we're doing laundry. I, I took the boys to the laundromat to get all their clothes caught up, and. Um, got a call about 2.30 in the afternoon that um, they had found a body at El Viso Bay. And I knew they were going to El Viso Bay because of that morning. So that's another strange part of this, the whole situation was that morning was a Saturday. I got down there Friday. Um, that Saturday, uh, one of my nieces that had been up there searching or down there searching, uh, was adamant that they had to check Alviso Bay um, because she had um, been, when they were out searching, she had run into a woman, a nice lady, who had handed her a $20 bill to help with the search and then said, you guys need to check Alviso Bay. And so that had gotten in her head. And that morning she said, because they were going to fly out that afternoon back to Arizona, they had to get back to their kids and such. Um, and so she wanted to check that before she, they left. So there were two different search parties going on at that time. There was uh, my nieces and my daughter and um, 
one or two of Ian's um, cousins, and then another search party were his aunts and other cousins. So there was two search parties going on. And also that morning in the hotel, Saturday morning, we had a conversation with a psychic um, who had told us some things that um, – that we were puzzling over. And then another psychic that I didn't know about this until way later, um, he had actually said, uh, you guys need to check Alviso Bay. Now, um, Michael will attest that Alviso Bay down there is infamous for um, notorious things, <laughs> I guess. So that's, that's kind of, he'll talk about that. Um, so they may have picked up on it that way, but um, to me, it, uh, it felt like a, an angel intervention. That's what it felt like to me with this lady. Um, so they all, both search parties ended up at Alviso Bay, completely uncoordinated, happenstance, coincidence, whatever you want to call it. They didn't talk about it or anything. They just both ended up there at the same time. And I guess there's like a fire dock, station dock or ammo. I don't know. Michael can tell you. But anyway, they were posting pictures, you know, the uh, missing posters. And all of a sudden, you know, there's police and there's an ambulance and there's all this commotion and sirens. And all of a sudden, the detective, the missing person detective that had been working with Chelsea throughout the whole week showed up. And... He was shocked to see the family there because if you hear the 911 call when they found him, um, they were concerned. The um, they were concerned. They said families here, um, so that's concerning for police activity because there was quite a bit of them there. Um, but the missing person detective shows up and says, "How did you guys get here so fast?" And they said, "We were already here." What is going on? They tell, and that's when I get the call. Gosh, and you're there with your with your grandkids, and, and of course, and then the, at first you get a call that they found uh, a body, and then then they're of course able to to say, "Yep, it's Ian." And initially, well, when they got back, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, once the detective was able, once they were able to identify him, and then, and it, and then, of course, within a way too short a time, it's just it was like, well, there was an actual drowning. But the first thing we're going to say, and then we're going to bring Michael on, but there is a thing about Ian that you know, and you've shared, and Chelsea knew, and Ryan knew, and the boys knew, and his whole family knew. Ian mm-hmm. did not water. He did not like getting in really water. He did not like swimming. Nope. He couldn't swim, as I understand. He would. He had when they they would go and be at the lake or or, or, or on a beach. He would be on the beach, <laughs> he had no interest in the water. <laughs> um, and, and when they, when he had to get on a boat, he'd be wearing double life jackets. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so so the fact that he is, that he on his own would have somehow just wandered into or jumped into the the water is there's a zero percent chance <laughs> that that is anything zero. Ian would want to do. Period. No. Nope. Period. No. Nope. Period. There's no way. 
So they're um, saying, let, well, he just went for for a piss and fell into the little creek there and got stuck in the mud and drowned. Or there's another story. The police captain said, I'll let Michael tell you. Um, yeah. And we just called bull from the get-go because, you you know, you guys didn't even ask. They did no investigation. They just basically that was that was their way to shut everybody up. Yes. And let's do that. Uh, I know Adam is uh, producing for us. Adam, let's bring Michael onto the show. Michael Johnson is an individual who became drawn to this case and has really done a lot of work in the initial investigation, which you'll see. And I encourage people, when you go to that Facebook page, the investigation's there. The Good Morning America video is there. There's other video and social media that's been shared. Ryan, your son, has has shared on TikTok a lot of pieces of this case and uh michael thank you for joining us and thank you for bringing all this together at this moment so that we can seek out for others and uh michael are are you there michael michael are you with us Michael, you might be on mute. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for Michael to join us, so you were there. They ended up saying that he had uh, drowned uninspected, you know, like it was an accident. Now, but you guys, did you guys come home the day he was found? Or did you end up staying longer? What happened there? Did everybody... Once it was found, then you came home and waited for the investigation? Uh, we we stayed there that Saturday night. We were all at one hotel. So um, we all made some drinks and, and said some goodbyes and, you know, started the grieving process right. for the boys. Um, and then we left the following day. And... Uh, like I told my friends, you know, we had we had we were driving Ian's car back, his new Toyota um, that he was so proud of, and you remember all the fires in California were going on at that time. That was the really bad fire season where that town pretty much burnt. Uh, what is it, Paradise? Um, so that was. So we're driving back, you know, trying to uh, you know take the roads, avoid the fires and stuff, and that's one of the reasons why the search was hampered as well with any kind of air search was because of the fires going on. Uh, helicopters were not able to fly or they were busy up there. So um, we stayed Saturday. We, um, I told my friends, you know, when we were getting ready to travel back and um, calling work and such, um, I said, we're loaded up on, on cigarettes and tissues and we're heading home. And I knew it was going to be a long drive. And it was rough. My daughter was, um, well, you know. So we were trying to figure out in our own minds what the hell just happened what the hell's just happened you, you have you ever been in a surreal right, moment where you're yeah. like i know this is my reality but my god this can't be my reality right now this can't have happened um to him it's complete shock for one thing we're still in shock we're still having questions we're still trying to figure things out um 
And then, then and Michael, we started watching there? how people were reacting. Yes, I am. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll let you guys talk. So, well, no, go ahead. So then you started watching, you saw, you know, the, how people were reacting. Go ahead and finish that. Yeah. So we, we um, you know, we were having to tell people because they couldn't identify him. We knew it was him because the, the detective went out on the boat with uh, the investigators from the medical examiner's office and uh, to get him. So he knew. He'd been looking for him solid for five days. He knew it was Ian. Right. And he said it's not official. So we knew um, before official. And so we were calling people and letting them know um, so they could hear it from us instead of anywhere else. And so, I mean, everybody was just heartbroken. Everybody was destroyed. Everybody was, people were angry. People were like, F that, there's no way that that happened. Um, do we need to go down there? Do we need to, I mean, you know, besides them, besides yeah. themselves. I mean, how do you ingest that news and take it on and and put it into your reality? Because that was, like I said, surreal. So most people were reacting like that. We had a, we had some strange, or strange interaction with somebody else that, um, you know, I, mean, I, I know people won't react say, yeah. Right. We won't go into there that. There were definitely some questionable reactions at that time. Yes. That's as far as and, we go with that for now. Yeah, we'll come. Yeah. And Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Let's talk about just for a minute about, because obviously you lived in the area, so you'd heard about this when it happened. Uh, That's probably in news or things. But then you had a particular, you had an experience that drew you towards this case. Let's talk about that. You went to the game. You went to a game there yourself. Go ahead. Absolutely. I just want to start off by saying my, my deepest condolences to the friends and family, the people who loved Ian. It's through this investigation, I believe, I was able to identify the type of man that he was. And he is changing people's lives four and a half years after his death, Charles. It's that type of quality of man that we're talking about. So it's, it's a great honor that you folks would allow me to speak tonight regarding Ian's case. Personally, uh, born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, my wife and I live in northern San Jose, just about a mile from the 49er Stadium and about three and a half miles where Ian's body was placed. Um, I came to attend a 49er game one year exactly after the night that uh, Ian and Chelsea attended the game on Monday night. I had gotten some free tickets. My wife and I lived close enough. We took the local trolley to the game and decided to walk home after the game. As Tanya said, this was during the time of the Butte County fires, so it was very dry outside. It was a little bit warm uh, in November. It was walking over the Guadalupe Creek where the chief of police said that Ian jumped into the water where I remembered the case from a year ago, a young man going missing, his body found in Alviso waters under suspicious circumstances. So upon returning home, I went onto the internet, typed in his name, uh, missing 49er fan, and reviewed all of the remarks made by the police or the statements made by the chief about how Ian decided to leave the stadium, go the opposite direction from his car, 
through 50,000 fans leaving the stadium, through a gauntlet of police and security within the parking lot, he walks down to a stream of water and tries to jump across so he could join his family at the parking lot, who are exactly two miles in the opposite direction. So those kinds of remarks did not uh, sit well with me at all. Uh, frankly, I felt I was being lied to. Um, one of the facts about the Guadalupe Creek is that it feeds into the San Francisco Bay Area. San Jose is at the bottom portion of the bay in the Bay Area. Okay. And that stream, in some cases, can be no wider than your bathtub. But the one consistency about the Guadalupe Creek is the mud. It is very similar uh, as quicksand. In fact, the report on Ian's Facebook site, I actually cited a local story about a, a young man getting stuck in the mud and requiring multiple people just to pull him out. So the idea that Ian uh, jumped into water, as you folks discussed, suffering from aquaphobia, um, I asked a single question, and to this day I can't get an answer, Charles. If you jump into that water and get your feet stuck and you drown, then Charles, four and a half years later, your body is going to be in that exact spot. There is no releasing from the mud by your shoes, taking your socks off or anything like that. Ian's shoes were on him when his body was found. The police say he jumped in and got his feet stuck and drowned. There's only one problem, Charles. The autopsy report identifies everything a body has on them, the clothing. Uh, they describe the condition of the clothing. Ian's had mud-stained pants, mud-stained socks, and clean shoes. How do we know this? The fishermen who found Ian's body returning home from fishing in the afternoon on Saturday only saw him because of the bright red 49er shoes he was wearing. Had he not been wearing those shoes or something darker, they may have gone right past him. It's just, it's one of those mysteries as you were talking about that doesn't make sense. I kind of refer to Ian's case as deception, smoke, and mirrors. What we're being told in certain cases, for example, the media or the chief of police, is not necessarily the full truth or doesn't test, survive the test of scrutiny or questions. And even remarks made by people in Ian's case, including Ian, must be questioned. Tanya recited to us the text messages going back and forth, how bizarre and unusual they were. You have to understand when Ian left that statement at left the stadium at 9:15, he walked over five miles in less than one hour within the 49er parking lot. He started on the left-hand side, came back, and kept, worked his way like a, a fan across the entire uh, parking lot. The 49ers have top-of-the-line surveillance and security during their games, especially in their parking lot. In my report, you'll see they have quick response teams to any issues that occur. So they are well aware of containing security within their parking lot. They saw Ian do, do this walk throughout the parking lot. 
his phone, he ends up across the street from the entrance of the 49er Stadium where his phone either dies of power or is turned off. This is where that final picture is taken of Ian. He was on a, a, a view where he, they could see one another, and she took a picture of that final uh, scene by Ian. Uh, Ian himself told Chelsea and the boys, I'm stepping out to use the restroom. The prevailing consensus, the circumstantial evidence, you'll call it, indicates that Ian had purpose in leaving his seat, perhaps to use the restroom for a second, sure, but there was a reason why he left. There was a reason why he left the stadium. He could tell us that. We'll find out eventually. But this was not someone who, uh, even against what he's texted to his girlfriend, I'm lost, I'm unaware of where I am. No, he, he walked, when you review that report, he walked with very specific reasoning. And think of what, what happens if you walk five miles in one hour. Guys, you're tired. <laughs> How, whoever you are, mm-hmm. you're exhausted. So you, yeah. you're already worn down. You have been watched walking through that parking lot by the 49ers surveillance system, but you cross the street into a lot, Charles, that has no lighting, no surveillance, no security. If you're going to kidnap someone, it's the perfect opportunity. And what what brought you into, like you looked at some things and you thought some things don't add up here. How did, when did that turn into, you know what, I'm going to investigate this. Yes. When my wife told me that she jogs up and down the Guadalupe Creek shores, and I made it quite clear, I am going to investigate exactly what the hell happened here because I am not thrilled with the idea of you walking or being in an area that could be potentially dangerous. And as as I pulled up the – it was Ian's Facebook site which opened my eyes. When you see that many people referencing – this man is as close to me as any brother could be. Charles, I may have three or four men who could say that about me. Ian can, can beat me by 100. And it's men and women. You'll see on the Facebook site people continuing to mourn his loss. Today was the day that I could have really used Ian's help. He was the one who would listen or, or show me compassion. Again, all of these qualities taken away from people, uh, and you, you realize after the fact, this is really not acceptable. And I think that's what spurred me along, Charles, is that I felt that um, I had stumbled upon something as I began to document things, take, save pictures on the report that I, I've uploaded for you folks. I felt that, you know what, there's something more here, just as Tanya has said and so many other people. There are too many questions. And the answers that came from the police at that time, as Tanya said, seem to be uh, we have an opportunity to simply close this case altogether by stating that it was accidental. They never pursued the circumstances if it wasn't an accident. If they had taken the approach uh, during the surgery, and perhaps this is more than just an accident, let's ensure that we... uh, check off, uh, just like Sherlock Holmes, check off all of these other uh, possibilities so that we arrive at one answer. 
That's what you and I hope the police do. That didn't occur in this case. And so you began to get involved. And, I, and one thing, yep. and we can start there, and Tonya's there too. Uh, so the first thing, A, he was afraid of water. B, you mentioned someone being trapped in that creek that got peeled out. That was a child, right? Correct. So that gives people an idea. This was not some waterway that was, that was a, the Mississippi River. Like you said, it was maybe as, this was a drier time to start with. Uh, yes, there were mud. Had, and, and also this creek is very visible. People can see it. When you're doing a search party, that's one thing I saw. And, folks, again, look at the link that we shared in the show's description, and, and you can see all, all the things that Michael's sharing right now from where things were uh, that's all there. But so you have this. So this is a six-foot dude, ex-Army guy, not a child, and had he become stuck, especially during a five-day period when people are searching, given where he was at, and you said, like, your wife jogs there, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that's right by the stadium. It's, it's visible, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, it's, <laughs> so, and just as I mentioned to you, my wife would jog along there. Let's also, also take into consideration dog walkers, other people jogging. When I went out to Alviso, there were kids taking pictures from their Sadie Hawkins with the background of Alviso there. The, the boat ramp area is packed solid on the weekend. It is within business and residential that this creek uh, runs. Uh, so, yes, extremely busy. And um, not to get too deep with folks in medical uh, ideas, but you have to understand a body in the water will accumulate uh, acids and break down internally, floating the body after exactly about five days. Ian's body was found just about five or six days after that Monday night. But no one had seen any cadaver um, floating in the water. Most importantly, Charles, no one smelled a body floating in the water. That is something that will attract uh, birds and any type of scavengers, and nothing like that occurred. My point being, Charles, the place where Ian's body was found was the place where his body was placed. Wow. Can I bring a point up on that real quick? Absolutely, yes. yes. Charles? Yes. Um, the, the creek, Chelsea did measurements of the creeks, the St. Thomas Aquino and, and the, um, what's the name of the other one, Michael? Um, uh, yeah. yeah, you're in Alviso all the way to St. Thomas Aquino. You're right, actually, and Tasman. Okay. Okay. So um, she did measurements um, on a website somewhere of what the, what the, um, how deep it was in those creeks. At that, on that night, and there were three to four inches, I mean feet, right, three to four feet of water in Ian's over six foot. So even if his feet had got stuck in the mud, he's taller than the water. Uh, he takes his feet out of his shoes, he walks out. Um, or he yells, it's right by the footbridge. So for the police to say he got in the water to cross the creek to get to the parking lot where he thought his family was, why didn't he just use the dang footbridge? <laughs> a man who's afraid of water. 
and he uh, died of salt water drowning. This is a freshwater creek. So we can throw the theory out completely of that police captain saying that that's what happened to him. And that police captain knows right. that that story was bull from the get-go. Absolutely correct. And the thing about it, Charles, is that uh, you cannot have fans of your team being kidnapped or having uh, violence taken upon them if they're attending uh, a game of yours. It simply is bad marketing. It's bad business. Yes, right. Uh, and, and the opportunity of the medical examiner to select undetermined as the cause of death would keep open all of the ability for the authorities to continue to research this case, a cold case, for example. By determining accidental, the medical examiner has locked all reference of the case in their office. Pictures, reports, pictures of his autopsy are all locked and inaccessible, Charles, to every man and woman on the face of this planet. You will need a court order by family members or anyone to a judge just to see the photos of Ian's autopsy. Why is that important? Well, the medical examiner's office actually have a, has an investigative department attached. A, a true detective will answer your call when you place it. And when I did get one of those agents on the line, she was able to view the pictures and the reports on our phone call, and she described to me as she was looking at the pictures going, look at that, there's bruising on both of his ankles. His torso, Charles, from his belt line to the top of his head, his skin was stained orange. Nothing below his waistline was stained orange. We're hoping the listeners of your show with any type of experience in cadavers or drowning can tell us what can turn a dead body the color orange on their skin. Very important question. And for you, as you began to investigate, you started your investigation there. It has gone deep, but and, and including coming up to our area and, and, and doing different things. But when you started the investigation there, there's something else that you were able to find out about the place his body was found. Yes. Uh, the uh, Alviso Sloth is what they call it. And... Uh, the location of his body, as we say, uh, I spoke to a, a number of people who work the waters of Alviso. There's a lot of uh, fish and seafood, sea, uh, sea uh, creatures in those waters. So these people will drag the bottom to pull up any type of uh, bait, for example. In speaking to these people, they made it very clear. We are telling you, Michael, this body was dropped from above or placed there by taken by a boat. There is no swimming to that region. There is no walking through the quicksand mud. Uh, this was a case where the people who literally work those waters could tell us with determination that's not what happened. So when I spoke to the local Alviso police and, and, and questioned them about the waters of Alviso, his response was quite easy. Oh, the identification of bodies found in the Alviso Slaw, where Ian's body was located, identification of previous bodies 
are all gang members or victims of gang violence. It's not the local homeless. It's not stockbrokers. It is one of two identifying sections. So Ian's body was found in a location heavily trafficked where bodies of gang members are dropped. They're dropped to be found, Charles. They're not buried. There is purpose for those gangs, whatever their reasons are, to have bodies found in those conditions. Interesting. And as your investigation went further, what are some of the things that you began to find out or that you began to discover? I think it's just those revelations. And what you'll see in that first report is simply walking you through from beginning to end. Uh, A description of a, a case summary, for example, pictures of the actual Alviso Uh, the water areas that we're talking about. Uh, Also, the autopsy report itself, Charles, is a plethora of information. Uh, There are remarks made by the medical examiner about what he called expomented hypopigmented scars over Ian's extremities. Extremities equals wrists and ankles, legs and arms. But here's the issue, Charles. If Ian has markings on wrists and ankles, he had his shoes and socks on. And Chelsea will tell you, he didn't have a mark on his ankles or wrists when the last time she saw him. So it's, again, one of those questions that begins to come up. As I continued through the case, it seemed to me that I needed to begin to keep an open mind. Regardless of the police calling in an accident, I need to open my mind to all of this. Was Ian's death an accident, natural, a heart attack? Was it suicide? Uh, He had no beating uh, representations on his body, so he wasn't in a fight with New York Giants fans. So again, we begin to chip off things and say, okay, it was not natural. He did not have a heart attack. It was not suicide. He was in love with Chelsea. The happiest people tell me he had been in his life. Uh, anticipating a marriage to her, and who knows, more children perhaps. So not suicide. So we're marking off accidental, we're marking off natural, not suicide. We're kind of getting down to very few options, Charles. And when you begin to go down that route, you need to follow the evidence. You keep an open mind as to manner and cause, but you focus solely on the evidence. This is not a case of, Uh, DNA, fingerprints, pictures, or anything like that. This is a circumstantial case. And the actions of people, and you can interpret that, folks, as family, really tells you a lot. It is explanatory if you follow the evidence under circumstances other than suicide, accident, or natural. And, again, I'm not trying to be coy with folks. I want you to think about it and put it into your own mind. Those of you watching Dateline or Snapped or detective shows like that, what are the consistencies of those shows? And when you see behavior by people, and Tanya referenced earlier, bizarre behavior by someone in particular, those are what we call red flags. When you start to add up the red flags under a single name or a single person, because the evidence draws you that direction, 
then you have to begin to look at them as well. They're brought in under the web of your investigation. You allow the puzzle to be completed simply by identifying the clues. And when you do that, you begin to go down a path which is very frightening, Charles. You asked me about how I got involved in this case. It was when I flew to Spokane in 2020 to meet Chelsea, to meet friends and family of Ian's, because I needed closure. Started this case just simply wanting to know the truth. Can I trust my wife to be jogging along a creek where people are dying? And as the answers came to me, I became almost a witness to a crime. By putting all of these pieces together, my eyes became open. And during that visit to Spokane, Charles, that was the linchpin. That was the flashpoint. That's where I became solely involved in this. Uh, we talk of spirituality and guidance by uh, a higher power. This, this is when that occurred with me, Charles. I left Spokane absolutely terrified. I have never felt fear that much, Charles, because of the conversations I had, because of a voice message left on my phone. I realized, my God, I've stumbled upon something far beyond what I ever considered. I returned to the Bay Area, and after being away from the church for over 30 years, it was the only place I could go to for solace. It was the only place where I found peace of mind because I had talked to one of the pastors there. I wanted to know for protection, should I pray to the Archangel Michael or to God himself? And the answer was very clear. Pray for, pray for guidance, Michael and you will find peace of mind through that guidance, trust. Uh, I've been praying for a while, Charles, for help. <laughs> Lord, yeah. I can use some extra help here, you know, in, in this endeavor. And sure enough, here we are. And so for you, and in that report, and again, we've said it a few times, but people that are listening, and I know many people will listen to this after we're live as well, in that mm -hmm. In the show's description is the link to that Facebook page. On that Facebook page are the things that Ryan, one of his best friends, has shared on TikTok, many pieces uh, that, that relate to that report. Your entire uh, report is for that first part of the investigation is there for people to see. And there's, there's, something, so, and there's something that happened that is, just adds to those mysteries. And that is that how long after Ian's disappearance and death did his cell phone turn up here in Spokane that we know of? Uh, yes. The, um, those of you accessing the report that Charles is speaking about on Ian Powers' Facebook site, you'll go to page 26 you'll see a picture of a man who is erasing information from off of a cell phone. This picture was taken by the wife of the driver of the car. The buyer, the driver of the car, had gone on to a local app in Spokane called OfferUp. And he yeah, made yeah, arrangements to, yes, to purchase a cell phone with an already active cell phone line to the buyer if they would meet in a local parking lot. The buyer was concerned that the phone was stolen. 
That's why he had his wife in the passenger seat taking picture of this person of interest. But she also took a picture of his rear license plate. Well, Charles, that license plate doesn't exist. I know this because I put my own license plate number onto the website and said, yep, there I am. So this individual sells a phone to this buyer, and a week later, I get it in my head, and we talked about spirituality. I'm not that sharp of a person, folks, by the way. <laughs> Let me clue you in. Uh, I'm just a logical thinker. I try to put things in perspective. So thinking logically, I called Chelsea and said, Chelsea, give me Ian's cell phone number. I will call it. And if someone found it in the area in Alviso where his car was parked, who knows on a sidewalk, maybe I could retrieve his cell phone. Well, she gave me the phone number and I called it. And the buyer in the picture on my report answered the phone. He answered a cell phone with Ian's line on it, active. And I asked wow. him, exactly who are you and what the hell are you doing with this phone? That's when he recited to me the OfferUp app, that he made a connection with a gentleman who called himself by the name of Daniel. The gentleman uh, providing the cell phone in the parking lot did not respond to being called Daniel. So the buyer just simply didn't call him that name any further. Um, it was that in, revelation, Charles, that, that really kind of spurred me on to say, okay, this is now beginning to confirm my suspicions. And, and for listeners, on that page 26, there is a picture of that individual. And like you said, they are a person of interest. They, they may or may not be personally part of what transpired with Ian. They may, but, but what they may know may be all that's needed to fill in some missing pieces in this case. And so we are asking listeners, and you've asked, you, this isn't the first time that the, the, the report's been out there, the picture's been out there. Let me know how it works. Sometimes you don't really pay attention, or sometimes you see something and you go past it. We're asking you, if you're listening, if the Spirit guided you to be listening to this show tonight, go and look at that picture. If you live in the Illinois Northwest area, go and look at that picture. And again, that this person may themselves be a tool for being used in a bigger scheme that was going down. That's very possible. They may, they also might have been involved in some way. It, it, they, they may have, they, the only, their only involvement could be someone saying, Hey, go sell this phone for me. So it's important to note that there's, that th this person and how they got that phone will be, a pinnacle clue in what's happening. We know something's happened because Ian was not found with his phone, nor was his phone found. And he was in the San Francisco, Oakland area. And months later, his phone is in Spokane. Something doesn't, that's another one of the giant mysteries. The phone and didn't the travel on its own. Pardon me, Charles. The, and the literal location of where that picture was taken was the parking lot across from the Global Credit Union on 4th Avenue in Spokane. 
So if you're familiar with that region, this character may be someone who frequents that region. But if anything, folks, take a look at this person. This most likely is someone, as Charles has mentioned, is a person of interest. We simply want to talk to this individual. They may simply be a delivery boy, but they can provide answers to questions as to why he is holding the cell phone from a man who's been dead for over a year and a half. Michael, what date was that story? The meeting occurred. What date did it occur? Yeah. Okay. The meeting occurred on Sunday, April 27, 2020. Okay. So that's, and he went, and he was found deceased November 2018. 2018. So. So our question is, and one of the things we want to clarify, and we're asking for somebody who might maybe work for these phone companies, is um, we're trying to figure out for certainty. We need to know if that was Ian's phone and not just his number attached because that's going to lead us in, that's going to lead us down one of two paths. Um, to know, if that was Ian's phone up here in Spokane, um, that's going to take us, a whole new direction, and if it wasn't, it's going to take us a whole other direction. So it's so important that not only do we figure out whether the number that was called was Ian's number and somebody answered and said, I just bought this phone, and the dude selling it was wiping off information. Is it possible that a year and some months later that phone number had been turned over? Or is it more likely that that phone number stayed with the phone? Well, that's, we that's the carrier. Yeah, I, I did mm-hmm. call the carrier, and as of 2020 April, Ian's phone number was not recycled yet, is what they called it, reused. So the carrier oh, says, uh, uh, we didn't recycle it. And think of it this way. You want to buy a phone for your child. You go to the store to purchase the phone, And then you make arrangements either with that store or your own carrier to have a new line tied to this phone or a line from my previous old number tied to this new phone. But you don't walk up to someone in a parking lot with a phone that already has a designated phone number tied to it. Because think of it this way. If you're the buyer, you're going to get strung up for $500 due on this man's telephone line because you're the new owner of the phone. It just doesn't make sense. There's only one answer, only one. Well, and and we're going to let people know that a couple things. We are going to be back next Wednesday. So there are going to be chances for you to review this information, share this show with people that you are led to share it with. And then next week, you'll be welcome. And tonight, too. Right now, we've got a lot of people listening. But if there are people listening tonight and you have a question, you something's come to you or you've been – I know I've been talking to people. I know people have been looking at this report and looking at this page leading up to our show. When we posted about the show on Monday, we posted again this afternoon. The show itself has been up on, on our main page since uh, Sunday night or Monday, and people have been looking. If in this moment you have a question – you can call in. The number is there in the show's description, but I'll give it to you right now, too. 
646-716-8069. If you have some questions or you'd like to share something that you know. Now, we also know this. We know what has been shared and what we've talked about tonight is a lot to do with the initial investigation. And there is even more there. And if you want to have reference points, what Michael and Tonya share tonight, what Ryan Phillips shares on his TikTok, which when you go to that Facebook page, one of the, I think that's the first thing right now is some, and they, there's been a lot of people listening, a lot of people sharing that. What's in that report? And you know something. We know, like I said, that's the first part. They are, there's a little bit more that we will share next week. There's some that's being held so that some clues, some tips, some people that come forward might fill in some blanks. There's some things that have been held back so that if you're out there in a mind, body, spirit way and you connect and you receive some things, you will have received it on your own. Not being tainted, you might say. And there has been, a, as, as Michael says, he came to Spokane. He's done deeper investigation. He's been in contact with different authorities in, in the in the cold case department and in the uh, dealing with the autopsy and the official reports there. There are a lot of eyes looking, and there are some theories in play. Those are not going to be shared because there's a, there's a want within the friends and the family and the investigators, including Michael, that what comes comes cleanly and comes without being influenced by things that will help them to see that this, this clue, this something that you know fits in perfectly with where things are already heading in this case. We also know that there may be people that know something. There always is. There's always a friend or family member or someone that overhears or someone brags about something, and then you can be afraid. You can be afraid, well, if I reach out and I say something, especially if I call up a, a, a show that's going worldwide and say what I'm saying, that I'm putting myself at risk. So we've done something here, working with Michael, working with Tanya and Ryan, is that you can use the email for our show, which we've included in tonight's description as well. The relax, let go be at gmail.com. But that has been our show's email since 2014. If you have something you want to share and you feel like sharing it live is, is going to, you know, not be the way that you've got something that you want to share that you feel. And if it's, if it's an in-depth clue or something that you absolutely know, we're asking you to take a moment, send an email, put Ian in the subject matter. And even if you forget to, I get all the emails, I'll see it. But put in in the subject matter, if you'd like to remain anonymous, but you have information, you can send that information to that email address, and you can say, Charles, I want to remain completely anonymous, but please share this with Michael. I will share the information with Michael. Michael, in the course of his investigation, has had individuals, that have talked off the record or have talked anonymously. And so, Michael, you too will honor someone who wants to be anonymous or someone that wants to share some information. You welcome that as well, correct? Absolutely. And with strict confidentiality. 
You'll notice in my report I don't refer to names or people in particular. This is simply about following the evidence. And anyone sending an email to Charles can feel comfortable in knowing that will be strictly confidential. There is no release of your personal information, not to me, and kept by Charles if he decides to delete at the end of the show. The idea yeah, here, folks, is communication. We want all of exposure to everything that has occurred. It hurts in some cases. This may be someone very close to you that you are revealing information. But this movement is just beginning. This is the first step, and we are not going to stop until the truth, all of the truth, is revealed. If there is someone listening to the show who can offer Charles even a small piece of information, it's another piece of the puzzle. We're not looking for heroes. We're looking for people who want to do something for Ian. He did so much for people. Doesn't he deserve to be, receive that same courtesy? Yes. And that, that brings up both Tanya, Tanya and Michael in these last few minutes, and we've got a lot of people listening so far, and I get it. The people want to maybe digest this and think about it. What are the types of people? As we, as we, as this takes the next stage, you're you're not just looking for some clues or some spiritual insights, which you welcome. You are looking for professionals, for individuals that themselves might feel called to come together and help this investigation and what are some of the types of professionals that you might be seeking some help or some insight from exactly first and foremost we're hoping that there is someone within spokane police authority who recognize this person of interest there could be a reality that this person has history with the authorities in spokane we don't know but if there is someone who has uh, the ability to uh, a police officer who walks a beat in Spokane or knows the local people, this is someone who can be very helpful. Also, as we mentioned earlier, Ian's body had orange staining from his waist to his his head, almost as if he were dipped in something. So those people who have experience in medical examiner's office, doctor's office, or even uh, insect uh, abilities, The explanation from the police was the orange staining was insect predatory behavior. But Ian's pants had been pulled down, and again, I'm trying not to be too graphic, and his his lower portion was as exposed as his upper. It doesn't make sense. Um, and, And also, the most important are those folks in the legal realm. You speak the language that we are trying to articulate. You know what we're talking about when we say being locked in place due to identification of accidental. There are cases where medical examiners will change from accidental to undetermined. Once that occurs, we can now view those pictures of his body to identify exactly the condition. His body, by the way, Charles, was cremated upon returning to Spokane not the choice of the people involved in his life, nor Ian's choice. Uh, The reasons for that, I I can't answer that for you. 
Um, but the professionals you're speaking of, we're looking for people in those three regions that I talked about. And again, specifically in legal. You speak that language. What is our direction? What are our options in pursuing the medical examiner's office to consider reviewing this case? How can we uh, instigate the uh, pathologist, the medical pathologist, to review those pictures and give us a true uh, explanation uh, so many years later? And like you said, the mysteries of why are there marks on his wrists and his legs? Why is it that he's found five days later but thought that he actually, and that was some things that people will see when they look into that report too. He was found five days later but was thought to have died two or three days into being missing. Actually, and like you, or was that, Or is that a question as well? Well, Think of it this way. Ian did drink that day. It was a football game. I'm, I understand that people drink beers at the game. So he did have some drinking. As Tanya had mentioned, when I spoke to those uh, men who were in the troop with Ian overseas, he could handle his liquor as anyone else could. This was not someone prone to uh, having uh, bouts of delirium, of, of confusion, things like that. As I've mentioned, uh, I think that you need to take a little bit of care in believing everything someone may say. Uh, so the, the opportunity here is, is to uh, provide uh, the type of request that we want to these people, again, the medical examiner's office, to see if we can entice them, hopefully with these results. But it will be, Charles, those folks who respond to your request for phone call or email, those people who do have a little more inside information to give us clues to lead us in the right direction. And it, and I know, and you're there too, Tonya, and I, I know we've spoken of it before. And yes, it was a game. He had a couple beers. But really, that was the other thing that was noted is that he literally had had a couple beers. He had not drank 10 beers. <laughs> right? Well, he had drank quite a bit at the game. Um, Okay. He had drank more than a couple of beers, so he was okay. feeling good. Um, but even the police said it's, it's the, the only video they released of him. So I'm going back to the arena here for a moment, folks. The only right. video that they released of Ian was him leaving their stadium, uh, wiping their hands um, of any responsibility because he crossed that footbridge. And so whatever happened from that point on was no longer the 49ers' responsibility. I know that's why that's the video they released. They said the only other video they captured of him was at the intersection um, where he supposedly went the opposite way or whatever. Anyway, all those businesses around there, those are the only two video shots they have of him. As soon as he hit that intersection of Great American Parkway um, outside the stadium, uh, he just disappeared from sight. That's what they're telling us. So one of the people that I really want to talk to um, is anybody that worked at the arena on that fateful night. Maybe somebody in security that saw that because the police were asking to see videos from everybody. You know that they looked at the 49ers videos. You know they did. Because something weird happened to Ian when he went to the bathroom. That's when it all started. That's the point of separation. That's when things got weird. 
that's when his personality changed. Something happened when he got from his seat and went to the bathroom. Um, and they had to have looked at those videos, even if there was nothing on there, those videos that were suspicious at all. We would like to hear that because we can then put that to rest, right, that anything yeah. untoward happened to him in the arena. But right now we can't put that to rest because we don't know. Um, and they're not sharing that with us. Of course they're not. So somebody in security or somebody that knows somebody that worked in security and maybe somebody from security at that time told them, you know, I looked at the videos of that guy that went missing and there was this strange dude uh, loitering around that. I don't know. He just didn't look right. And then, you know, or or they just saw something weird. And another thing is um, for the uh, the, there's a law in California that, and I think, I know, Michael, you put it in one of your reports. I can't remember which report it is. But the law in California is really another reason why our hands are being tied is because we cannot get access to any of the police reports. The detective that worked the missing person case for those five days, after they found Ian and he was there when they got him out of the water um, and told Chelsea, he wouldn't respond to her at all for nothing. Um, what, she kept calling him, uh, just wanting to pick his brain about, you know, what do you think or what, do you, what did you get in your report and your investigation? Can you talk to me? Nothing. Completely ghosted her, right? So my theory is either he was told to shut up about it, it's done, um, let it rest, um, somebody, he got orders, or... Um, they said, according to this law in California that says, and we requested, when we requested the autopsy, um, they only sent us the written part of the autopsy. They won't release the pictures. So why won't they release all of it? Because according to this California law, um, if it's claimed to be an accidental death, then they don't have to release anything um, not the missing, uh, the detective's uh, reports um, that would say which videos they looked at, who they contacted, who they talked with, getting all this witness testimony. We can't see any of that. Um, And it forbids the release of the pictures of the autopsy. They can send us the written part, but we can't see the damn pictures. So my thought is, well, what if it was an actual ongoing criminal investigation? Would the same law apply? Well, yes, of course, because then that's an ongoing criminal investigation. And none of them talk about an ongoing current criminal investigation, right? That's, cops right. always say that. We can't talk about it. It's ongoing. So either way you look at it, the public disclosure that journalists use, reporters use, um, doesn't apply in California. How do you get information if this law is forbidding even, and it said when they reported to us and said we weren't getting those um, reports, um, not even not releasing them, not even to the family. It said because of this law. Interesting, and there may like, be people what, there in California. Yeah, and there might be people in California or journalists that know there's a way. Mm-hmm. Yes, or lawyers that have fought under public disclosure. Um, you know, if you, if you work for big newspapers down there, they have their own lawyers that will go to court and fight for public disclosure. We just don't understand why this law exists in the first place. I mean, 
why would you just just to just to protect people you want to protect like a major NFL team, for instance? Right. Um, it's odd. I don't know if Washington has that, but I've never heard of that before. I always thought if you had public disclosure rights, like a reporter, a journalist, a newspaper, um, they had to release public disclosure unless it was an ongoing investigation. And then if they wouldn't release it, then you go to court and you get the judge to say, release that. There's no reason for you to hold that. But they have this law. And an interesting uh, thing that I found during this investigation, Charles, at least in Santa Clara, the medical examiner is not required to have a history in medicine. They are a voted position. So the medical examiner who took Ian's report may not necessarily have 10, 15, 20 years of medical experience. It is the forensic pathologist who is the professional the detective, the one with incredible medical experience. That's what we want. We want that person involved in reviewing Ian's autopsy report, in reviewing the pictures, and then coming to family, Tanya, uh, and saying, here are the results of my investigation into this. Uh, That's the person we're looking for. One quick thing as well, Charles, Uh, Ian's cell phone went dead or was turned off in the parking lot across the street from the entrance to the 49ers stadium. Uh, I actually walked from the last spot Ian is filmed into that parking lot where his phone went dead, directly in the center of that dark, unsurveilled parking lot. From that location, Charles, with a good wind at his back, Ian could throw a Frisbee and hit his car parked in the next lot. Wow. He was that close to his car and ends up completely the opposite direction, three and a half miles in water that the locals tell you and I only had two ways of getting in there. It wasn't jumping off an overpass. It wasn't walking in there. It's one of two ways, dropped from the sky or placed there after being taken in a boat. Those are remarks made by the people who work those waters. Anything you guys would like to say in closing tonight? Start with you, Tonya. Um, I would just like to thank everybody who's um, given us an ear tonight. Thank you for your time. Um, appreciate anything anybody can help us with. We're not turning our back on any information. We're not judging anybody. Um, at this point, four and a half years later, um, we are desperately seeking answers. So whatever, even if it's just a theory you have, maybe it's something that we didn't think about. That's why I like different perspectives. Because it's like somebody's going to see something in a way that we never did, even though we've been gnawing this over in our heads for four and a half years. That's that's kind of insight we're looking at. And then, uh, Michael, on, on the factual side, of course, we're looking for uh, experienced uh, professionals who can give us a heads up. They're saying those were insect bites on the, his torso. Um, the people that live there saying there's no way that th- this was November. Um, there's no way there's insects that would make those marks all over his body on the torso. Um, 
at that time of year. And according to the autopsy report, the only way to get those marks, um, well, I actually I talked to the investigator at the um, medical examiner's office, and they are saying the only way to get them is through a disease, like a rash, um, or you um, were injured or you were uh, burned. So that's interesting. And they're circular. So it kind of reminds me of like cigarette burns, if they were actually burned. But of course, if we can't see the pictures, and we did get a second opinion through a pathologist chart. Um, Michael set that up and said that the minimum should be done is to change it to unknown or undetermined pending investigation. And then um, he said he really can't do, go any further without pictures. You gotta have pictures. And when I talked to the investigator, um, that investigator, he said Ian's body was um, pretty marked up. And he was looking at the pictures and describing them to me. So, and then there was a, um, there was something that happened, um, and I don't know if you want to go into this, but but anyway, there's just a lot of questions on the autopsy. But um, I'll yes, we can, and Michael. we will. Yeah, we'll have more. We'll, we'll have a little bit more next week, and we hope that in in the, in in between, people have a chance to review this, look at this, email in their questions, their clues, things they may have seen. Michael, how about you? For yes, thank you, Charles. And final thought. Just. To, a message to those folks who are listening, friends and family of Ian's. You, we've seen how you feel still about Ian today. That love is still there for him. This is your opportunity to help him. He deserved this. He's, he's given so much of himself to you folks. You're very fortunate to have had him in your life. Send an email to Charles. Give Charles a call. Provide him some information that will be kept confidential, that will be deleted forever, but at least the information can come out. You are the key we are looking for tonight. After all of this conversation, you folks who know Ian, who know the truth, it's your responsibility now. You see us making the attempt. You see Charles devoting his show to this. This may be one of the most important issues in your life. It is certainly life-changing for me. And I never met the man. He was that quality of a person. We can't afford to lose people that good. If we're not going to stand up for the good guys, who do we represent? Charles, it's been a tremendous pleasure being on your show tonight. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you both for reaching out to us. And for some behind the scenes that I know didn't join tonight, but but have also done a lot of work, like Ryan with his sharing on the TikTok, with many of the people that have shared things on that Facebook page about their feelings and in many cases their support, their questions as well around this mystery. Uh, I also want to give a shout out and a thanks to Adam Bodie, who has been running everything in the studio, producing the show for us tonight. And a quick mention for those in the inland Northwest. Adam has a art show coming up at the Shadow Library this Friday, 2.30 to 5.30, that benefits the Jonas Project. Kind of interesting because the Jonas Project is for missing people and for those that are, have been involved in sex trafficking. Not that that's 
tied to this case, but they work with a lot of missing people and kidnapped people and things like that as well. Adam himself went through some very uh, rough times in his life that he has shared on the show as well uh, in past shows. And so it touches his heart to reach out and want to do a fundraiser that can help this group that works with missing and exploded, exploited people. Um, so that's worth mentioning as well. And that is this Friday. If you can't, if you're listening around the world, uh, you can again send an email and I can send you a link to Adam's Instagram and Facebook where he has his artwork displayed and you don't have to be a local person to purchase art that becomes part of that fundraiser. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Adam. He came early today and has been and has really devoted himself behind the scenes. Uh, and I want to thank him for that. We will be back with you next week, folks. And there's two ways to reach out. You can if you discover some things throughout this week and you'd like to, or you have some questions, you, you look through the report and you look through the things that are shared on that Facebook page and you call and you want to, you have some questions or you have something you want to share, you will be able to share it live next week. We'll be live at 7 PM here on the West coast, 10 PM on the East coast. If you check on blog talk, wherever you are around the world, it tells you the right time for you. <laughs> and I am going to be posting this the show for next Wednesday later tonight or tomorrow morning. So we'll already be up and you can share that with people. So you can call in next week when we're live. The call in number only works while the show is live, just to make that clear. If you try to call that number and we're not live, it, it will, I don't know what happens, but I know no one answers it, I don't think. <laughs> but what is live 24 seven is that email relax, let go be at gmail.com. And if you would put in the subject line Ian. If you have a question, if you have something you want to share, if you have something that you know, and if you're not sure about the time frame or time period, go back and look at that report. It was 2018. It was during that week in November around Veterans Day. And if you live in that area, maybe you did see something. Maybe you saw some at the time, but it, you know, you just yeah, sometimes some in many of these cases, the smallest clue, the smallest observation sometimes is what breaks everything wide open. And there has been, an, uh, this investigation has been ongoing. It has seemed to lead in certain ways. However, the investigator, Michael, the friends and family involved, and those that are watching that are paying somewhat of attention in that area uh, in cold case are wanting to see if certain clues can come together. One of the biggest, my friends, for those in the inland Northwest is the picture of that individual that sold the cell phone. There's reason to believe, as Michael mentioned, that that cell phone had been kept on, and there's multiple reasons why that may have been the decision. We won't go into all that, but that that cell phone was on. The number had not been rolled over. This individual has it. Again, they may not realize that that cell phone was involved in what it was involved with. It, it, it may be... It may be that all they were asked to do was, hey, go sell this cell phone for me. That person is a, is, a, is a big time person of interest as far as how that phone arrived uh, a few, well, found a, several hundred miles away from where Ian last, or Ian last used it. As we close tonight, my friends, I want to close the way we opened with a prayer. Dear most awesome, wonderful source, God, we come to you tonight. Friends and family of Ian are hurting. People who didn't even know him have been drawn together to try to discover 
what happened with Ian, to try to bring some closure for friends and family and to bring justice for an individual that was so loved and so appreciated by his friends and family. We again ask that you reach out to those friends and family who were for a lifetime going to be going through the stages of grief and the stages of missing Ian. The family that was with him that day, Chelsea and her sons, were enjoying a wonderful vacation, a wonderful moment, and then suddenly lost someone who they loved. We ask that you bring them compassion and healing and that you touch each of us listening, each of us who are allowing ourselves to learn and become part of this investigation, become part of this movement to bring justice for Ian, that our minds and our bodies and our spirit be open to the inspiration and the guidance and the wisdom that you might give us in this moment. We ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus, in the beautiful name of the source, the love, the light, and the source. Amen. I love you, my friends. Thank you for taking a moment to be part of this most important, most important show, a next step for the friends and family who have become involved in wanting to bring justice for Ian. We will be with you on Friday night for a very special Good Friday, Friday night. Relax, let go, and be a guided meditation to connect with the Christ consciousness. We're going to be back with you next Monday with a love and inspiration for the new week. And we'll be back with you a week from tonight on the 12th. And we look forward to the emails. And we look forward to you joining us on that show. We welcome you. If you have questions and comments that you'd like to make live next week, That's we're opening the show up for you. So be there with us. If you feel that there's something that you'd like to share and your heart's been touched, and your mind's been touched, and there's something that you've been wanting to share for a long time, send an email. We thank you for taking the moment to consider all of this information and to think about who it is in your life that might have the talents, the insight, the studies, the profession that might help this family, help this group of family and friends and these investigators to take this to the next level. We've seen, we're in the 2020s, friends. There are many ways that we can all work together. We have seen, we we all watch the shows and see the things where communities of people and friends have come together, and that's what finally solves a very tough case. This is a case so full of mysteries and inconsistency, it begs for help. And the family and friends and myself are asking you, the listener, become part of that progress, part of that solution, part of the resolution for the love of Ian. Good night, my friends. I love you. See you on Friday. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.